0: Just, just uh just one second. I've just forgotten something, a second. Uh three week break. Welcome back, everybody, after a three-week break. This is a shin on the book of Yhezkul, Bas uh, we are in Yhezkel in chapter eight in verse 70. Uh just to back up a bit so that everybody knows where we're up to those that might have missed the last year or trying to catch up or don't remember or whatever it is uh chapter 8 has started off with Yechezkel being taken back to Yerushalayim not literally he's still in Babylonia he's in his house he's being visited by members of the elders of the tribe of Yehuda or from the people of Yehuda and they really want to know why if God is going to uh, destroy the base of it's, um They've been in exile for quite a while. The base of Midosh is still standing. And whether God maybe has changed his mind about destroying the temple. And uh, at that point, Yechezkel gets grabbed and he gets taken in a vision, uh, a prophetic vision. He's taken to Yerushalayim and God shows him four acts of defiance, four acts of pagan worship that were going on the base of Migdosh. Um, and, uh, it, after each one, he says, listen, you know, th- you think that's bad? Look at the next vision. And there were four visions. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to review them in any great detail, but as when we do the next verse, verse 17, chapter 8, verse 17, we'll get a, uh, I'll just do a, a, a slight review of what he actually saw. Um but he's seen these four visions of the uh type of behavior that was going on in alignment and particularly around the temple and here in verse seventeen, God says to him, after showing him these four visions by uh verse seventeen, God said to me uh Har ben have you seen Son of Man Hanokal Yehuda have you seen is it not enough that the house the whole house of Yehuda that they commit these abominations that uh, what they commit here in Yerushalayim not only that but the rest of the country are also filled with people of corruption, uh, inappropriate behavior, we'll see exactly what this. The word chomos, we've translated it before as theft, but it's got a more more expansive meaning in this verse. Um, they filled the world, the whole country with homos, uh by yashuvu and they re- repeatedly provoke me to anger. God says, "Vehinei sholchim es hazmorah el and not only that, but they pr- put the branch to their nose, which, uh, that will take some explaining as well. So, uh, really, God's saying, uh, basically three things in this post, and we'll, we'll deal with them one by one. The first thing he's saying is, uh, um, have you seen is it not enough what you've seen about what the House of Yehuda, the abominations they're committing here? Now, uh, uh, just to back up and uh, explain what he actually has seen in this chapter so far, the four visions that Yeheskel saw here in Yushalayim. The first one um, depicted a semel, which was a an object, a type of idol that that. I need to uh, mute everybody, or well, not? Uh, the first, the first uh, I- imagery, the first vision that he saw was of a semel. A semel is an object that uh, is a spiritual object, and if you make a physical representation of what you believe a sp- spiritual object looks like, that's called a semel. And that was outside the base of Migdash. As the people entered the base of Migdash to bring their uh, offerings, there, are korbonos, there was a semel there, a semel that had four faces, which depicted really was a, an idol depicting uh, the Merkava, the chariot of God, which didn't please God too much. The second thing that God showed him was a room full of Jewish pagans offering sacrifices, burning incense, um, and uh, in a room that was full of icons and engravings and carvings and pictures of different types of pagan deities in, and included in the people that were present uh, at those occasions in that room um were members of the sanhedrin uh, the third the third uh, imagery uh, the third third scene that god showed him was the women uh, crying over a an idol called tammuz uh, <laughs> and um uh, tammuz we described last time either tammuz was a uh, a an idol itself uh, the name of an idol or it was a uh, a false prophet it was could have been a uh, imagery a, a a an idol depicting a false prophet called tammuz um Whatever it was, it was a -a vodazori. It was pagan worship done by the women outside Yubish again outside the entrance to the base of Mikdosh. And finally, the worst of all, uh, the fourth image that uh, Yechetzkel saw was approximately 25 men worshipping the sun facing east inside the base of Mikdosh, with their backside, worshipping the sun, bowing down to the sun, with their backsides, uh, (laughs) towards the Kodesh Kadoshim, uh, i'm trying to mute i'm trying to mute everybody and somebody keeps unmuting themselves if they could stop doing that please um and yeah the fourth the fourth vision the worst of them all was these these men worshiping the sun facing the east with their backsides towards the Kadoshim, the holy of holies and they were defecating while they were doing so um and so, why 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 is people are people unmuting please don't unmute because it, it's just distracting to everybody um and of course all these four visions um are, are derived they're all parts of different types of zorra that are described in uh the fourth chapter of devorim where in the fourth chapter of devorim in the Torah, the Torah deals with these different types of Avodah And the, the, the Torah there describes that the ultimate punishment for Avodah Zorah is exile. And so the message from God is quite clear. You know, there's going to be an exile. Um, and the, pos- the psukim, uh are very clear. This is Devarim chapter four. Harry, make me the host and I'll stay on top of it. Okay. Uh, Larry Lowenthal. Make host. You're now the host. You're now the host. Okay. Um. so, the, the, the Sukkim in Devorim are very clear about this. The, uh, we've, we've dealt with this, uh, before, and, uh, the Possuk says this is in chapter four of Devorim, verse 25. Ki solid bonim bonim. When you have, chi- when you enter the land, you have children, you have grandchildren and you'll be long established in the land. b'asisem um, pesel tumunas and you start making graven images. You become corrupt and making graven images and idolatry uh, uh, idols. B'asisem uh, and you do evil in the eyes of God. La'achiso, in order to provoke Him to anger. Uh, and we discussed it earlier that this word in this Vadoshantem uh that you will become long established is a remez is a hint to the fact that the word of Vadoshantem is a God a gematria of 852 uh, and it's indicative of the time that God predicts in the Torah itself, he will allow the Jews to go off the rails before taking action against him uh, and from the entry into Israel under Joshua. In the year 1273 BCE until the year 421 BCE, that would have been 852 years. And uh, God says in the next verse, if I allow the Avodah Zorah to continue for the whole uh, this whole period, the whole period of, of the Noshantem, this period of 852 uh, years, the result will be the next pasuk. And this is again Devarim chapter four, verse twenty-six. Hey dosi buchem. I call as witnesses against you today, as the heavens and the earth. Ki al ha Sorry, ki me al You will be speedily and utterly wiped out from the earth. Uh, and from the land which you came across the Jordan to conquer. Lo sarichu yomim you will not prolong your days there, but ki you will be utterly wiped out. Now, that is uh punishment scenario one. If God decided that he wants to wait the 852 years, the punishment for the Avodah Zorah would have been total annihilation. But as we know, God did not wait a full 852 years. But no shantem. he waited only 850 and he brought the Babylonians to destroy the base of Migdosh and to destroy Yushalayim two years early um, in the year 423 BCE according to our calculations uh, and as a result of that kindness the Torah in the very next verse, verse 27, 27 describes the scenario 2 punishment scenario 2 but Hashem but God will scatter you amongst the other nations, Nisharatim, same Mizpah, and you will remain few in number, Bagoyim, amongst the other nations, Asher Yenayi Gashem Estem Shoma, where God will drive you, lead you to. So there's two punishment scenarios. One is total annihilation, which God wouldn't contemplate because of other promises. And there's a the promise of exile. And this section in the Torah... Which is dealing with Avodah uh, pagan worship, uh, the punishment is, is, is actually, uh, described itself that, uh, Avodazora, the result of Avodazora, the result of, uh, paganism, Jewish paganism is always exile. And, uh, that's, that these images, these visions that is being shown with sufficient reason alone for the Jews to be sent into exile. So that's the exile taken care of. But God, God adds here a little proviso in the first phrase of this verse. Um, and, and the proviso is easy to miss, but it ag- adds an extra dimension to the forthcoming exile because God doesn't just say, uh, have, a uh, son of man, have you seen what's going on in Yushalayim? He says, ben hanokel Yehuda What God is saying here is that the four visions of, that uh, of avodah of paganism that God shown Yeheskel were all committed in the base of Middash. But He says, don't think the avodah was limited to the base of Middash alone." Or was, uh, limited to Jerusalem, Yerushalayim alone. He adds in Levates Yehuda. The whole of, the whole of Yushalayim and the rest of the country were also involved in this. So there's an extra scenario to this. Because what we see from the, from Sefer Devorim, from the Pesukim in Devorim, God is saying to Yecheskel, number one, for the Avodah Zorah that you saw in the base of Migdosh, those four images, those four visions of paganism of idol worship that you saw in and around the base of Mikdash, the punishment for that in the Torah um, is is uh, is a, a, a destruction of the temple and exile. Um, or the the punishment for that is the destruction of the temple. For the Avodah Zorah going on across the country. Uh, which is not limited to the base of midashah it's not limited to Jewish lime. it's going on everywhere the punishment from that from the torah is exile uh hayfit as we said before behafit hashem ba'amim if if you as a nation are worshipping idols la'achisainei to anger god then god's going to scatter you amongst the nations um so there we have two. God's giving them g- giving Yechyskel two ideas here. Number one, the base of images is going to be destroyed because it was being used for inappropriate behavior, particularly about the Zora, and the whole country were well, were, were, were not the whole country, but it was so um, endemic in the country that it was cons- God considered as if the whole country were worshipping idols, and we see clearly from that that the punishment from that from the Torah is exile. So we've got two two things going on here. Number one, in this passage, God is is answering um, the questions that the uh, elders of Yehuda have got for um, uh, Yeheskel back in Babylonia. Is the base of interest going to be destroyed? Yes, it is. Are, are we going into exile? Yes, we are. The base of interest is being destroyed because the base of interest is, is being used improperly and you're going into exile because the country is considered to have been completely full of jewish pagans and then on top of that we know from previous chapters that not only were the jews of Yehuda, not only was the base of interest destroyed and not only were yehuda the people of yehuda and the people of yushalayim exiled we know they were also massacred by the enemy and we know that many died through famine. We know that many died through civil war during the eighteen month siege of Yerushalayim. And we know that many died from plague and uh, uh and disease inside uh Yerushalayim. Um so God addresses that in the second part of the verse, uh as he says, Hanokel Levais Yehuda mea God tells Yechezkel Hanokel as if that wasn't enough. It, meaning, don't believe for a moment that Abode Zorah, that paganism, Jewish paganism, was the only problem in Yerushalayim and it was the only problem in Yehuda, in the country of Yehuda. Because he com- he, he continues, God, in the sentence, he says, Kimolo et al-oretz homos, In addition to all the Avodah that was going on, they've also filled the land with Hamas, repeatedly provoking me, God, to anger. Now, we've dealt, uh, not in great depth, but we dealt briefly with this word Hamas, Hamas, uh, in an earlier chapter. Uh, The word Hamas is a term normally used to describe surreptitious robbery, the breakdown in societal norms. And, uh, it was a, it was a major reason why, um, at the end of the day, God chose that moment to destroy, the, to bring the flood. That's the last thing he said. That was why God brought the flood at that particular moment, because the world was full of this type of behavior, homos. So we, we normally use the term homos to describe surreptitious robbery. The type of robbery that the perpetrator knows is not covered by the general legal definition of robbery and theft. And thus, the robber, the thief, the criminal uh, feels that he's protecting himself from prosecution by casually and continually stealing things of low value and slowly accumulating assets by stealth without fear of the legal system. Uh and that's the way that's the way the word chromos is generally uh used. But here, in this verse, uh many commentators take the word chromos when God's complaining that the kimolu esa oretz chomos, that the whole of the kingdom of Yehuda was enveloped in chamos, in this type of behavior, which we'll describe in a minute, um, uh, was not just that. But it includes other pernicious acts as well. Um, and the, these particular pernicious acts that God is describing here, or as God is, is including in the general category of Hamas, uh, caused uh, not only, we know that the, the, ba- the base of Midrash was destroyed because of the misuse of the base of Midrash for idol worship. We know they went into exile because uh, paganism was widespread across the country. But because of Hamas, the different types of Hamas that was being, Hamas that was being committed across the country, it resulted in a massacre of Jews in Yerushalayim by the Babylonians. It, it brought famine that people died from. And it meant that many people were killed in a civil war that gripped Yerushalayim during the siege. And that many people died through plague. And all these punishments were midik and midah based on different types of chomos and uh, and these are the different types this is the way uh, some of the uh, commentators understand it we'll bring the Chizkuni, the Rambam and various other commentators um, the very fact that uh, again not only was the basement just destroyed not only were they sent into Israel but on top of that number one uh, the Jews were massacred by the Babylonians and that was the result of chomos the traditional type of chomos. Um, the traditional type of chomos was a catalyst for the massacres of the Jews by the Babylonians, as uh, the Chizkuni, one that we've shown him, explains in, in the book of and Sefer Beratius. And he describes it like this. He's actually describing the chomos that was uh, around at the time of the flood. And he describes it like this when someone brought a basket full of fruit, um, to market it, to sell it in the market, he would be mobbed by people, each of whom helped themselves like to one apple. And, uh, you know, he brought a, a whole, whole barrel of apples to sell. And as he arrived in the marketplace, everyone would up, run up and they'd all, you know, they'd grab that help themselves just to one apple. Uh, and by using this subterfuge, the party helping himself to fruit without paying for it, Escaped being cited before a judge because number one, um, it wasn't worth the while of the uh, of the uh, victim to sue each and every person uh, for theft, and uh, uh, the ju- the the courts would have been overrun. And on top of that, the people ran away. Um, and on top of that, the courts didn't entertain clo- uh, such small claims. So how did God outmaneuver these people, says the Chizkuni? He would deprive them of their excess wealth by death. They would be punished by not getting, which was in, in the case that the Chizkuni is talking about, he's talking about the flood. They would be punished by not getting t- to benefit from their Torah knowledge. In other words, it was their Torah knowledge that gave them the idea to indulge in this type of criminal behavior. They knew from the Torah that they couldn't be prosecuted for crimes uh, for theft under a certain value, under the value of a pruta, meaning that when the people, he's, he, what he's saying is that when people use their Torah knowledge appropriately, it's a source of life. It's a source of happiness and a happy life. As we say uh, in Davening, and we quote the posset from Mishle, the Torah is a tree of life for those who grasp it and keep it. Uh, and those who draw near to it are fortunate and happy. But, says the Chizkuni, when the ob, the obverse is true, when a person uses their Torah knowledge inappropriately in order to indulge in criminality in a carefree fashion and in order to enrich themselves, then instead of being an Eitz Chaim, instead of the Torah being an Eitz Chaim, a tree of life, it's an Eitz, Eitz Mavis, it becomes the tree of death. Uh, and people find that their abuse of the Torah uh, has been counterproductive and they'll end up being worse off than if they'd never studied Torah in st- at all. And instead of being an Eitz Chaim, um the t- the Torah knowledge that they accumulated that allowed them to indulge in this criminality or to rationalize how they could get around the law using the Torah inappropriately, instead of becoming an Eitz Chaim, it becomes a, uh, the source of their death. It becomes an Eitz It becomes a tree of death. And he says this type of Hamas, criminality, was rampant in Yerushalayim and throughout the uh, kingdom of Yehuda. As a result of that, God brought the Babylonians to massacre these Torah-educated perpetrators, these Torah-educated criminals who use their knowledge of the Torah not to keep the Torah and not to... Follow the ways of the Torah, but instead to rob uh, other other people um, and accumulate criminally acquired wealth. At which point, the Torah knowledge that they had, instead of becoming instead of maintaining their lives as an Eitz Chaim, it turned their lives into an Eitz Mavis. So that's number one. Why the Jews were massacred because of the khom- that type of Chamos. A second group of Jews died because of through famine. And again, there's another interpretation of the word Hamas in this verse. And some commentators un, understand the word uh, in this context as the people were indulging in sexual misconduct, adultery, incest. And again, very similar to the time of the flood, which is exactly what happened at the time of the flood one of the complaints was that the people were indulging in incest and uh pedophilia and all sorts of vile sexual um um, um perversions and this this translation of the word homos is based as as sexual uh, in, inappropriate behavior particularly incest is based on verses in Yahu in chapter 51 verses 34 and 35 Yirmiyahu uh, 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 says he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar he's talking about the distri- dis- destruction and one of the things that will come as a result of the siege of Yerushalayim which will be the famine he says Nebuchadnezzar has placed me talking about Yerushalayim nebuchadnezzar has placed yerushalayim like an empty vessel he's swallowed it like a a sea monster he has filled his belly with all my food he has emptied me out of nourishment i asks the Gemara, why would yerushalayim emptied out of food in other words why would yerushalayim condemned to suffer such a terrible famine during the siege, which is the which is what uh, Yirmiyahu is describing here. So the Gemara says the very next verse, because chamosi eri because of my sexual impl- I- I- exploitation involving relatives. In other words, incest. So so far, add, let's add it up. We've got eh, God's God's giving uh, Yecheskel an insight. Will the base of Egypt be destroyed? Yes, because of the four visions. Will the the Jews go into exile? Yes, because of the widespread of Odzorah across the country. Will there be massacres? Yes, because of the Chomos, because of the criminal uh, behavior that was taking place in Yerushalayim. Will there be a famine? Yes, because of the sexual Exploitation of relatives and various other sexual crimes, yes there'll be a famine. What about the the, the next idea? why were people so many Jews killed during the civil war that gripped Us during the siege? Remember the siege t- took eighteen months to resolve itself, and during that time, as you can imagine you got jews who who um, contained in the city. Some people wanted to go out and fight. Some people didn't. Some people wanted surrender. You can imagine. And the food was getting short, and uh, and there were, it was mayhem. And it, the was gripped by a civil war during the siege. So some com- commentators understand God God using the word Hamas in this verse as also a to uh, 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 also uh, uh the, the the definition of Hamas. Uh, can mean the shedding of innocent blood. And that's also based on another verse in Tanakh. It's a based on a verse in Yoel, where it says, Because of the chamas, because of the innocent blood spilled by the people of Yehuda in their own land. And we know that at the time of the second base of Mi- first base of Mi'kdosh and at the time of the second base of Mi'kdosh, there were murderous gangs of criminals roaming the country- countryside, highwaymen, murderers. Um, anyone that believes that uh, just because we're Jews, we don't have this problem with criminals and mobs. And well, they should read. They should read a book. Uh, the book they should read is Tough Jews by Rich Cohen. R- Rich Cohen, American guy, is an expert in the, in, in the on the mafia. He wrote a book called Tough, Tough Jews which chronicles the rise and will not fall, but the rise of the Jewish uh mafia figures in the United States and deals with such wonderful characters as Meyer Lansky and uh Bugsy Siegel and uh Lefty Levine and various other you know you know Jews that re- really weren't Friday night's uh Shabbos table material. Um who was who was executing the electric chair all these guys and so um and and, and, and maya lansky and bugsy siegel and lepki buchalter and lefty Levine, they were all amateurs compared to what was going on in yushalayim Joel describes it was the wild west at the time of the second base at first base of Mid-Josh, it was the wild west you couldn't go it was like south africa you couldn't you couldn't go out in the streets for fear of being uh, killed for your for your wallet. So says says uh, say some of the commentators here, Babinell and others, that God uses the word Hamas uh, to indicate that um, not only was he displeased with the robbery that was going on and with the sexual impropriety that was going on, but also the fact that there was murderers in the land. Murderous gangs of criminals roaming the countryside. And consequently, when Nebuchadnezzar, with his army came to besiege Yerushalayim, God instigated a civil war where Jews could murder Jews again. Like, if that's what you want to do, then here's your chance. Right, Midikinagid Midah. You want, you want, you want to have a country where Jews are murdering Jews? God says, I'll show you Jews murdering Jews. Here you are. Here's a civil war inside Yerushalayim. And finally, number four. Which is really number six on the list. Why did so many Jews die from plague during the siege? So the last, the last, uh, phrase in this verse, which is a very, very comprehensive verse explains why that was. Because the last complaint that God has in this verse is the Jews put the branch to their nose. Now, what exactly does that mean? Um, it means this, that they became intoxicated with two odors that they liked to breathe in. One was a sw- sweet smelling odor of the incense that they offered to their own pagan gods, their own idols, their own Evodazora. Uh, they used to offer sacrifices and they used to offer incense to the gods. That was one smell. And another foul smelling odor, which we discussed, which was the, 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 the ultimate, the fourth and ultimate vision that God showed Yechezkel was when the Jews went inside the base of Midosh, faced the sun and bowed down to the sun and then defecated with their backs towards the Kodesh Kedoshim. So that was the, uh, another smell that they liked to breathe in as well, the smell of their own defecation. So which was uh, very much a part of ancient um um pagan rituals uh uh not to put too fine a point on, on it because it, this is she's being recorded but uh, very often in, in in many instances of worship of pagan deities um the practitioners would um eat large copious amounts of beetroot before they went to the temple so that they could show off and defecate red To imitate the, the idea of sin. You know, they're very proud to be sinning. So they, 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 uh, it was part of pagan ritual, two smells. One was a pleasant smell of the incense they offered. And one also part of the, uh, the pagan experience was to breathe in the smell of your own, um, your own poo to, to coin a phrase. So God says, okay. Middick and that's what you like to, to breathe in. If you like to breathe in things that you shouldn't be breathing in, then I'll bring a plague. Now we know that plague, um, well, we don't have to be told. We've just been, uh, we've just gone through three years of it. Uh, plague can be contracted by breathing. Well, we know that to our cost that many plagues, pneumonic plague, COVID-19, just to name just two, can be spread from person to person through the air. Transmission takes place if someone breathes, uh, breathes in compromised bacteria or compromised uh, viruses, um, and he becomes infected. So God says, "Yeah, yeah, you want to breathe in some stuff? I'll give you some stuff to breathe in. Here's the here's the plague. Here's pneumonic plague. Have a bit. Smell of smell that for a while. See if you like that smell." So there you have the whole sorry tale uh, in this one verse. God answers Yehe- all Yeheskols was well, not really Yehezkol's question. God answers all the questions that the the elders of Yehuda back in Babylonia have been asking him. He answers a whole lot here's the whole story story tale that the destruction of the base of was will come as a result of the paganism being committed in the base of midosh itself. That's number one: the national exile will come as a result of the widespread uh, of Zorah throughout the paganism, throughout Yushalaim and the whole country of Yehuda, the whole kingdom of Yehuda, which is as per the Torah. That the Torah demands that. That's number two. The massacre of the Jews by the Babylonians will come as a result of the robbery. Uh that type of Hamas that was endemic in yushalayim and throughout the country. The famine is gonna come as a result of a different type of Hamas because of sexual indecency. That was part of the societal norms of Yehuda. Number four, the death, the, sorry, that's number four, and the, the number five, the deaths in the civil war during the siege were a result of widespread, different type of Hamas. Murder and violence, the Midikineged You want, you want, uh, uh, Jew killing Jews. God says, I'll give you Jews killing Jews. Um, and finally the plague that enveloped Yerushalayim, the disease that enveloped Yerushalayim during the siege came as a result of the aromas that the Jewish pagans delighted in breathing in whilst worshipping their Avodah And God says, you want to breathe something in? I'll give you something to breathe in. Here's the plague. And so that's it. That's the whole sorry tale. All six pieces of the jigsaw puzzle put together by God in one verse. And because of all that, because of that, which it really is, it's one verse that really sums up everything about the destruction of the end of the first temple period. And God says, because of all that, in verse 18, God says, It's not, it's not going to be pretty. I'm dealing in Chema here. I'm dealing in fury. Now God doesn't get furious. Let's not. Uh, let's get back to basics God doesn't get angry, God God doesn't get furious, God doesn't get happy, God's not judgment, God's not anything but when God acts the way we see God interacting with us appears, uh, particularly in this instance when he deals with the destruction of the base of Migdosh and the exile and everything else that's going all all, along with it in Yerushalayim to us it looks like Chema, to us it looks like fury, looks like unadulterated fury like three five red lights god has seen five red lights and he's out of control but obviously that's not true that's just the way it appears to us really it's justice and so he says I, i'm going to deal it's not going to be pretty i'm going to deal with you people with fury um, once again, he says the same thing as he said earlier on. He's not going to have any chus. His eye is not going to, not going to see any chus. And he's not going to have any chemlo. And uh, let them cry. Let them cry as much as they like, like with a loud voice. So I'm not going to listen to them. I won't hear it. Closing my ears. Or this is all anthropomorphic. God says, you know, it's all it's all about anger. It's all about mayhem. The mayhem you've created is being turned back on you. And don't bother, don't bother thinking that there's gonna be any type of chus or hemlah, and don't bother crying out, don't bother davni, because I'm not listening. So it's um as a result of all these things we just described above, the three cardinal sins, the surreptitious robbery, etc., 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 God is going to release chaima. Now, exactly what chaima is, um, we described chaima in chapter seven. Uh, the the Malvin described Chema who shmiras <laughs> hakas Um Chayma comes as a result of a, a continual buildup of anger in your heart. Now we know how that works, right? So people, somebody says something to you, so you get agitated, and then uh, they see that you've not reacted to it, so they do it again, right? And you get a little bit more agitated. Eventually, there comes a tipping point that you, you boil over, so to speak, and that's uh, this—that's this idea of Chayma, that it's a gradual build-up of anger after anger, being pushed and prodded and abused and verbally abused. Time after time after time. So in human terms, eventually there comes a tipping point and you lose the plot, right? You just, you just lose it. And that's what's going on here, so to speak. But Obviously it's God we're dealing with, but God's talking here in, uh, in terms that we can understand. So to speak, the, 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 the pressure cooker is exploded. That's the Chema. The Chema has been released from the heart. So now that that built up anger is going to be released, Resulting in massacres, exile, famine, civil war, plague, everything else that goes with it. And there's going to be no escape from it. You're going to be subject to one of these things. You're either going to be killed, uh, trying to escape. You're either going to be, you're either going to be massacred. You're either going to die of famine. You're either going to die of plague or you, if you're lucky or maybe unlucky, uh, you'll get to go into exile. And God says, don't bother thinking, He says, uh, you know, don't, don't imagine for one minute that there's any way out of this. Like, you know, there's going to be no chemla, and there's going to be, there's going to be no chus, and there's no chemla. So just to remind you, um, God says, no um, chus. Thus implies some type of mercy mitigation based on the fact that a person provides some type of added value. <laughs> so God says, I'm looking. Don't, don't think I, you know, don't think you got, I've looked at you very carefully with my eyes. Again, anthropomorphic. And I looked at you and I can't see any value in you people. Um, the added value of the Jewish people is only one thing. To be the light into the nations. And quite honestly, since the Jews at this stage in history were no longer the supreme example of moral spiritual excellence that was their task, then their value was, so to speak, completely devalued. And as as a result, God says to them, No, lo so I'm look at you. You 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 provide no value. The Jewish people at this stage in history are providing no added value to the creation. You can go. And uh, he says, either. <laughs> that uh, there's going to be no chenla. Because chenla implies some type of mercy or mitigation based on the intellectual argument that the people punished really don't deserve what's coming to them. Like if they had already started the process of teshuva, which they hadn't. But the, since the Jews knew this, is, this wasn't the case, I mean, there was no attempt at teshuva at this stage. There was no national teshuva movement right up to the very end of the Beis Hamikdash period, so God says no chenlo either, right? There's no, y you haven't turned a corner. I can't make an intellectual argument to save you, so there's no chos and there's no Chemler. You've got no value, and there's no there's no mitigation based on a change in a, a change in performance at the last minute or a change in behavior at the last minute. And as we said earlier. God doesn't even need to say that there's going to be no Rachamim. Rachamim is that you feel bad for someone, uh, and don't want to see them suffer or go through tough times, even if they deserve it. So you want to help them. Um, the Jews may have thought that although they couldn't expect Chus or Chemla, because, you know, maybe they understood that, uh, they didn't deserve because they really didn't add any added value, and from an intellectual point of view, God, he couldn't support a reason for saving them. Maybe God will still mitigate whatever punishment was coming them, that coming their way with Rachamim, and that's why God ends the verse with the words "V'koru ozne kol God of You can shout as much as you like. I'm not going to listen to you. No Rachamim either. Not interested. I don't, I don't feel that way about you. I don't feel, uh, the way a person feels, um, when they see someone suffering and going through hard times, even if they deserve it. You feel the need to, or not to feel the need, but you feel the desire to help. them. God says, I got no desire to help you. None. Nothing. So there's no rachmim, obviously. There's no chus. There's no chemla. It's all going to go through. There's no mitigations here at all. Absolutely nothing. And so ends, so ends, uh, the eighth chapter. Really, God's laid it out on a, you know, laid it out very, very clearly. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all gone wrong. It's all gone wrong in Yerushalayim and, uh, nothing's gonna turn back the clock. Which brings us beautifully through to, uh, wonderful chapter <laughs> chapter nine which uh you'd have to turn uh, j- j- before i'd start chapter nine which i'll i'll do now just give a brief introduction because we've only got a few minutes left um has anybody got any questions on what we what we learned today and uh god's, god's general attitude he really he, 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 in human terms if god was a, a a human being you can actually sense the frustration and the the you know. The pressure cooker finally exploding but uh, of course you're dealing with God here. Uh, mm-hmm. Has anybody got any questions up to this point because we're going to move on. We're going to take it upper phase now. Going, We're going to deal now in chapter 9 which is God leaving the temple and uh, and uh, the six angels. So it's the, a crazy chapter coming up. Yeah. Borrow. the picture that's being uh, portrayed here is as if there wasn't one single person that was still okay. Okay, so that that will deal with in the next chapter, and uh, you're asking from the Avram perspective, so, Avram Inu, right? With Sodom and Amorro, and uh, you know, could we find forty, you know, forty Hasidim there? And so, sure, God says sure if we can find forty Hasidim there, so we'll have a Febrengan and we won't destroy it. The 30, yeah, with 30. 20, yeah, 20. 10, yeah, 10. The, if wasn't destroyed because there was a million uh, criminals inside Stolman Namora, Stolman Amara were destroyed because you couldn't find 10 Sadiqim inside Stoman Amora. That's the reason. That's the bottom line. So your question is a very valid question. Was there no one in Yerushalayim that would Sadiqim? The question is a great question. But the question shouldn't be fa- shouldn't be phrased like that. Of course, there were tzaddikim in Yerushalayim. Were there any tzaddikim in Yerushalayim that vocally objected to the way things were going in Yerushalayim? That's that's, I mean. that's, that's, a right. better, that's a better that's a better question. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. No so opposition. It, no. Opposition. What, no. It seems that there was nobody would nobody would raise their voice. There were righteous people. As we'll see in chapter nine um but it seems that they um they th- there was no you know everyone was looking at their shoes and pretending they couldn't see what was going on around them and that's the nature of people in a lot of ways you know you 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 see corruption and uh everyone you know looks away and pretends that you know i didn't see it you know you 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 um you often hear, I mean, Lahavdil, you hear, you, you watch sporting events and, uh, you know, afterwards they interview the managers and, uh, the, say there was a penalty in the game. So they asked the manager, do you think that was a penalty? He said, I never saw it. Right? So he doesn't want to answer the question. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to make a comment. So he says, no, I didn't see it. From where I was, I couldn't see. So this is the Jews in I mean, the from Jews. It seems to be that, yeah, really? Was, uh, incest going on? Was a robber? Oh, I never saw it. You know, if I would have seen it, so if I would have seen it, I would have said something. But, uh, it's, it's the duty of Jews to speak up. There's a, a mitzvah in the Torah. It's a positive commandment in the Torah. So there's a, a responsibility to point out the, uh, the Jewish way of doing things. Uh, and when things get so bad that the majority of the country, uh, are involved in this type of behavior, Right. Which in the in the forget the murder and the uh, and the uh, maybe even the theft. But everything else that we have just described is part of the modern world. Right. The obsession, the the idol worship of materialism. Uh, the sexual, the sexual immorality that pervades the world at the moment. um The corruption that is endemic. At uh, the highest levels of government, Israel n- not dis, uh, uh, Israel included, but America uh, unbelievably so. Um, you know, that's the world we live in. It's the same world as the base of Mingdash. And even to the extent, you know, if you look at inner city South Africa, murdering on the streets, civil war on the streets. Go, I used to go, when I used to live in America, I used to have to go to Chicago, uh, from time to time. I dreaded being in Chicago. I dreaded walking down the street in Chicago. You know, you get killed at any moment now. It's like it's also like the Wild West. So a lot of the complaints that God's got here against Yerushalayim are still part of society. You know, the sexual immorality that's commonplace. You know, you don't even have to search for it. It's everywhere. Social media is completely ongestocked. With uh every everything you want to be, whatever you want to be, you're a boy, you want to be a girl, good. If you're a girl, you want to be a boy good. If you don't want to be a girl or a boy, good also. Everything's good, right? Everything's wonderful. everything's marvelous. So this is the world we live in. This is U. This is Yu at the base of Ikdosh. So uh, uh, as the French say, plus ça change. Uh, the more things uh, change, the more things stay the same. And history repeats itself. And, uh, and sure, in the world we live in, there are very good people as well. But where are they? Where are they? Where's their voice? Right? Where's their voice? So, you know. Okay. So, where are we now? Okay. So let's, let's, um, uh, we're coming to, into chapter nine now, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's a weird and wonderful chapter. Um and this uh this chapters nine through eleven uh eight really was the introduction uh to these these four chapters of uh Yechezkel's visions um which that dealt primarily with Zora, the paganism inside the base of Idosh chapter nine starts a discussion um uh, about uh Yechezkel's divine prophetic vision that runs through three chapters, uh, 9, 10, and 11, in which God's essence, God's Shina, God's glory, God's presence, leaves the base of Midosh. Um, and this continues our discussion of the journeying of the divine presence. Remember, this is an adjunct to the chapter one, because the book um, started off with a description of God leaving Yerushalayim, with the Emmer Merkabah. God loaded up his van, loaded up his um his Merekova, his chariot, put all his things in the back and he left. And here we are, uh eight chapters later, and we're gonna get a so so to speak, meanwhile, uh just before chapter one, this is what God did. This is how God packed his bags and left. So uh <clears throat> uh this is sort of reprise Going back to, you know, you sometimes you see in series, you know, uh, where it says, you know, you see something on the screen and it says 16 hours earlier or two days earlier or three months earlier. So th- this Ye- Yecheskel is about to be uh, given I- I intimate uh, knowledge uh, and see uh, what led to his original vision. His original vision was the Merkava of God leaving Yerushalayim now he's going to see why what what were the conditions and what exactly happened that led god up to uh the point where he left jewish alive and uh, the core element of the vision uh, in this chapter is the final verse the uh, of chapter 8 which we just read where god says you know I will deal with furious violent action with them. I won't give them any chus. I won't give them any chemla. And the chapters coming up, nine, 10 and 11, uh, make manifest this warning that God is going to act with furious violent action. What is, we, we, the result of God's will here in the physical world is furious violent action and without any semblance, any category. Of any mercy, of any empathy, any sympathy, any wrath, anything. Uh, And these words that the prophet uses here refers not only to the outcome itself. That there's going to be no uh, semblance of mercy or empathy or or sympathy. That doesn't refer only to the outcome itself, which is destruction and exile. But also to the manner in which the destruction and exile will be carried out. And it's going to be violent, terribly, terribly violent. So before we start chapter nine, which we'll do next time, please God, because it's a good place to start Uh, and this was a good sheer to start with. Uh, just a reminder, Yecheskel is still in Babylonia. He's still in Babylonia in his house, accompanied by the elders of Yehuda. As we read right at the start of chapter eight, he Yoshe Babasi, I'm sitting in my house. Yehuda Yoshim Lefonai, and the elders of Yehuda who were also in exile were sitting in front of me. And it was at that point that God's uh, prophetic hand, so to speak, God's hand, which we described as the hand of God, is a very, very powerful prophecy, and fell upon him. Um, and what's coming up now? Uh, we we had part one of that vision, which dealt primarily, as I said, with paganism that was going on in Yerushalayim and God ending the chapter as a link, as a segue into chapter nine, that it's all going to end in tears and it's all going to end in violent tears and it's all going to end in violent tears with no mercy shown to anybody, seemingly. Um, which At which point, Boruch asked the question, what about the tzaddikim? So we'll see what happens to the tzaddikim as well. But, um, what follows, uh, in now in chapter nine is the next stage of the divine vision planted into Yecheskel's imagination. So w- now that he's witnessed the four pagan abominations in chapter eight, God addresses Yecheskel again. So I'll just read the first verse and then please God next week. Right. One right. second. One okay. second. Please God next week. We will, we'll pick up with this verse by Yikra Boozn. Kol uh, Then he called into my ears, he being God, with a very, very loud voice, saying, bring near those that are appointed over the city, which we're gonna see are the destroyers, the Ishkli Mashkhiso and let each one of them bring his weapon of destruction in his hand. So that's a great, great verse to start off a chapter. And, uh, please God, that, that's, a, that's where we'll pick up in Mitzah Hashem next week. Yes. Somebody had a question. Harry, did Ezekiel ever prophesy in Eretz Yisrael? Yes. Before or after? Before. Before, ah. Yeah, it's a Gamorim Cotton. I've, I dealt with it much earlier in the year that, That's how he was able to prophesy The what? only reason why a prophet can prophesy in Chutzla Oritz is if he's prophesied in the land of Israel first. If you've not prophesied in the land of Israel, you can't be a prophet. And there's no exceptions to that rule at all. Not one. Uh, uh, well, there's no exceptions to that rule among Jewish prophets. There is an exception in non-Jewish prophets. Um, Bilon being the prime example. Um But generally, not generally speaking, it's a golden rule. If you haven't prophesied inside the land of Israel, you you uh, even Moshe Rabbeinu first prophesied was already within the landmass of uh, of Israel, the burning bush. Right. Okay, then that's it. That's your lot. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the share. Uh, we're, we're primed. We're primed for chapter nine, the weird and wonderful chapter nine. We're dealing with the six destroyers of Yerushalayim, which we'll deal with next week. Until then, uh wish everybody health, happiness, a shvotov, a G-Gitavoch, and same time, same place next Monday. Call to uh Larry, you'll have to switch off the share because you are the host, and I'm just gonna leave. So good night from me and it's good night from him. Oh, Harvey, on. I'll see you later. Bye, oh, boy. Hi hey, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>